0: Well good morning everybody, it's great to see you today as we kick off a brand new series and I'm very excited about titled You're Not the Boss of Me. And with this being our series look for the the next several weeks, I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to go buy a leather jacket. Uh, I've never owned a leather jacket and so I went and looked at them and I gotta say, I had no idea how expensive these things were. Like what? So all of you rocking the leather jacket, uh, way to go. That's great. I'm envious. But um, anyway, uh, the series is called You're Not the Boss of Me. And I'm excited about this because I know this is one of the things that we all have in common. None of us like being told what to do. Right? We just don't like it when people tell us what to do. And we recognize this from pretty early in life. The parents of little kids in the room will, will testify to the fact that little kids, their life changes the day they learn the word no. And kids start to say the word no. For some of you, you tell people that your child's first word was mom or daddy. Uh, but you know the truth is, that was their second word that they ever said. The first word they learned was no. Oh, uh, well, they don't say it like that. They, like, use their whole body. And it's like, no, right? <laughs> no. Just, they just, they love how that feels. The power, the control, the authority they have over their own life. But this isn't just a kid thing. Right? This is an adult thing, too. Really, none of us like being told what to do. In fact, I would argue this is part of the American dream. Right? The American dream is being able to say no to anything and everything that we would like to be able to say no to. Really, the American dream at its core is about autonomy. Now, autonomy is we want to be able to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, enough money to pay for it, and enough money to get us out of trouble if we get caught.
1: Right? That's deep,
0: so I'll say it again. Autonomy is we want to be able to do what we want when we want, with whom we want, enough money to pay for it, and enough money to get us out of trouble if we ever get caught. Now, when I said that, some of you might have said to yourself, wait, John, you said we. Does that apply to you as well? No, I'm so far above all of that. (laughs) Um, No, of course it applies to me. Yes, I hate being told what to do. And part of the reason that I hate being told what to do is because I'm convinced of something that I think you're probably convinced of, too. We all believe this about ourselves. We all believe this about the decisions we would make. But, but I, I know part of the reason I hate being told what to do, and probably true of you as well, is that I believe that once I can call my own shots, I'll call all the right shots. Right? You think this, too. Once I can call my own shots, I'll call all the right shots which is why we look at other people who, who kind of reach that level of autonomy and they have, they've kind of made it, like they've gotten themselves into a position in life where they have that level of autonomy and they can do what they want and then they do things to undermine their own autonomy and we look at them and we think from the outside, why would they do that? Like why would they make such a boneheaded decision? Why would they do that thing that undermined their, their autonomy? We think to ourselves, you know, if that was me, I would not do that. And when we kind of see what they do from the outside, once we get over that part of us inside of us that's kind of secretly a little bit happy they did it, right? You know what I'm talking about, where you see somebody do it, and there's a little bit of you that's just like, yes, yeah. kind, of, kind of enjoy that, right? Uh, what is that? That's kind of a, an icky part of us we'll talk about in a few weeks in this series as well later. But once we get over that, there's part of us that thinks, I would not do that. Like, I would be more careful. I would take more control. But for that to be true... There is something that you must do, and I want us in this series to talk about that thing that you must do. Now, to get us started, I want to begin with a poem. I don't think I've ever started a series with a poem before. Uh, Walt Whitman, I am not, Um, but yet I want to begin this series with a poem that goes like this as it relates to kind of not needing to have anybody tell us what to do. Our need of of supervision may someday come to an end if we silence the toxic voices that come from within. Isn't that great? Our need of supervision may someday come to an end if we can silence the toxic voices that come from within. Most of the time, when you and I get ourselves into trouble, when we get ourselves into bad situations, most of the time it is because we have... We have done something that violated our own conscience, and the reason we were able to do it, the reason that we give into it, is because there is something that has distorted reality, and usually it is our emotion. Typically, something happens and we find ourselves, you know, in a situation or somebody does something to us and it causes one of a variety of emotions to well up within us. And when, when reality is distorted by that emotion, that is when we will violate our own conscience and do something that in the end leaves us thinking, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Now for you. Before we go any further, I want to begin this series by simply asking you the question, and don't worry, you don't have to tell the answer to anybody, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but think about yourself for a second, what is the primary emotion that competes for control of your life? Okay, again, you don't have to tell anybody this, but as you think about your own life and your own personality, the way you're wired, what is the primary emotion that kind of rares up quickly, the one that you deal with the most in your life? Which which emotion is that for you? Now I'll tell you, as adults, we're really good at monitoring our behavior, right? We, we get really good at doing this, at monitoring our behavior. We do this for a variety of reasons. We do this so that we can get job interviews, right? We do it so we can get jobs. We do it so we can get dates. So we can get second dates, so we can get third dates, so that we can get married, so that we can stay married, right? Teenagers in the room, you know that you get good at monitoring your behavior, so you can get your parents to let you do what you want to do. You get them, you, you get good at monitoring your behavior, so you can get them to do what you want them to do, in fact, Right? But Jesus takes this to a whole other level, and this is so good, this is part of the reason that I think you should should choose to be a follower of Jesus, even if you're not completely convinced of everything in the Bible being true, but but Jesus invites us to take our monitoring to a whole other level, and to take it so much deeper than simply monitoring our behavior. He encourages us, and invites us, and teaches us to monitor what's going on inside of us. Now for us, our, our adventure begins today in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, so if you brought a Bible and you'd like to follow along, go ahead and turn there. We're going to start right off the bat in verse 1 of chapter 15. I talked last week about how when Jesus was traveling around and teaching over the course of his three-year ministry, there were the 12 chosen disciples. They were the apostles, but then there was this bigger group of disciples that followed him everywhere he went as well, hanging on all of his teaching, and then beyond that there was the crowd. And everywhere Jesus went, there seemed to be a crowd that would gather, that would would show up on the scene as well. And so we're going to begin in Matthew 15. Matthew was one of those chosen 12 inner circle apostles. And he begins in verse 1 by telling us what happened on this particular day. He says in verse 1 of chapter 15, Then some Pharisees and some teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked him, Now, right off the bat, he tells us that they came out from Jerusalem, which is a cue to us. It's a signal that something's going on here, that they've they've got a bone to pick with Jesus. They would not have left, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, would not have left Jerusalem because they just were fanboys of Jesus, because they, you know, wanted to get his autograph, right? These, These Pharisees and teachers of the law would not have left Jerusalem to find Jesus because they wanted him to sign the back of their robe, right? Okay. So Matthew tells us that they came from Jerusalem and they asked, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? then they get to their point. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Come on, Jesus, what in the world? Your followers don't wash their hands before they eat. Now we read that in the modern context and we simply think, that's gross. Right? You think about what's on their hands and you just think, that's gross, right? We, we shake hands during the turning greeting. and greet, some of you sit down and grab the hand sanitizer and you're like, okay, that's gross, right? So we think, how could you eat their hands? Do they know what was on their hands? No, they actually didn't know what was on their hands. This is 2,000 years ago, so This is far before they fully understood the idea of germs and antibiotics and, and bacteria and things like that, antibacterial you know, solutions, okay? This is also a very dry climate where they didn't just go wasting water, just throwing water all over the place all the time. And yet this was still a big deal for them in their context to not wash their hands before they eat. But it was not about their germs necessarily. This was about the tradition of the elders. You need to understand what that is for you to get the point of today's interaction between Jesus and the the Pharisees, But the tradition of the elders, or sometimes referred to as the oral Torah or the oral law, was this subset of laws that supposedly God had given to Moses when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. And so when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, the tradition held that when God had given him the Ten Commandments and the written laws, he had also given him another set of laws which were not allowed to be written down. Now that that oral Torah, or that oral tradition, became known as the tradition of the elders, and the the religious leaders, always men, right, it could only be religious men, they're the ones who had the oral Torah or the tradition of the elders, and they would pull it out whenever they wanted, whenever it served them really well. And so what we find is that they were manipulating people to, to kind of control their actions and their behaviors, and this drove Jesus nuts. Jesus rejected this completely. Jesus followed the written Torah perfectly, but he rejected the Pharisees' idea that there was some mysterious, you know, under the under the table, like only a handful of religious leaders will know exactly what the rules are, kind of Torah. He just completely rejected it. And so, so, so they come to Jesus and they ask why they violated the, the tradition of the elders, and Jesus responds. In the next verse, Jesus replied. And why do you Okay, he turns the tables back on them And why do you break The command of God For the sake of your tradition He says, why do you Violate the written Torah To keep the, the The unwritten Torah He says, you guys have these Traditions that you use to manipulate People, and every time they don't do something that you Want them to do, you pull it out and you go, well there's this Non-written oral law And Jesus says hated their hypocrisy. But let me just say that if you grew up in church and, and, and you felt like the religious leaders used these, these expectations to control you or manipulate the people, I am so terribly sorry. That is so far from what we are about here at Heartland. With everything in us, we want an authentic faith. We're together. We look at what Jesus taught and what he did and how he treated people, and that's the example that we want to follow. But if you grew up in church, you know that that this is what Jesus does. Then Jesus gives them this incredible illustration of what he's accusing them of as it related to taking care of their aging parents. And he says, you take the unclear laws that only you have, and you use the unclear laws to avoid doing the clear laws so that you you can get around it because you've got the unclear laws that that other people don't have because they only have the clear laws. Is this clear? Right? (laughs) And so he says to them in verse 7, he says... You hypocrites, he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now, they knew what Isaiah prophesied, but they would have been so offended that that he was saying Isaiah was talking about them. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips. They know all the right things to say. But their hearts are far from me. They're playing a game. Religion has become a game to them. They control the rules, and they control the people, and they control everything, because they're the only ones who understand the rules, and Jesus just hated it. Well, a crowd develops. A crowd gathers around Jesus, because this is before, like, TV and Internet, and, like, you know, entertainment was at a minimum, and so anytime Jesus and the, the Pharisees are getting into it, a crowd of people gather around because they're like, "Oh, you know, the Pharisees are leaving Jerusalem. Like, let's follow them. Let's see. Let's see what they're up to." You know, this is kind of like an ambulance chaser in their day. They wanted to follow it. Okay, this is like Jesus and the Pharisees going out would have been like the original Jerry Springer show, right? It's just people are throwing chairs and accusations are flying. You know, this is just good TV. And so Jesus, he sees that the crowd has gathered around him, and he drops some truth on them, and then he drops the mic, and he just walks off. It's awesome. Look at what he says. Once there's a crowd there, he says to the Pharisees, listen and understand. This was so offensive to the Pharisees. It was literally their full-time job to understand. So here's this younger rabbi who says to them, the older rabbis, he says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What goes into your mouth does not defile you. What goes into your mouth by accident or germs from dirty hands, that is not what defiles you. In other words, that is not what puts you at odds with God. God is not small. God is not petty. God is not some gotcha God who's just waiting for you to violate some rule of etiquette so he can drop the hammer on you. He says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then he drops the mic and he walks off. And the disciples followed Jesus out. And they looked back at the Pharisees, I bet. And they were just like, da 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 I You know? But uh, as, as, as normal, as usual, they didn't really understand what was going on. And so they get out of sight of the Pharisees after kind of taunting him a little bit. Like, what, you madro? row? Uh, yeah, they pull a Richard Sherman. And uh, so they're like, they look at each other, though. And they're like, did you understand what he said? Like, did, do you know what he meant by that? Do you know Peter? Do you know what he meant by that? And they didn't have any clue. They just, they went over their heads completely. And so the disciples asked him. Matthew, who was one of the 12, tells us. He's like, we went back to Jesus, and we asked him. Verse 12, we asked Jesus, do you know, Jesus, do you know, that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Like, they think maybe Jesus offended the the, the Pharisees by accident. Like, he just didn't realize that he was, like, kind of, like, you know, offending them. This is funny, right? That, That they would have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you know? I think Jesus was, like, yeah, I'm Jesus. Like, you guys not caught on this yet? Like, I know everything. Like, you don't have to tell me that. Yes, of course I know. But it's understandable. Like, this was still early in the ministry. They were still learning that Jesus, you know, like, knew everything. We are still learning that ourselves, right? We have time before we come before God. and We just are like, God, do, do you know? And I think he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But so they asked him, Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus responds. I love this line. Look at what Jesus says, verse 14. He says, look, guys, leave them. They are blind guides. Could you imagine a guide that was blind? He says, they were blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Leave them, he says. Once upon a time, it was okay to follow them. But they have so abandoned the heart of God. They have so turned our faith into a game that, that, that they are, they just abandoned them. They are not worth following any longer. And then he uses this phrase that was a common phrase in their day, if the, if the blind lead the blind they'll both fall into a pit. It was simply their way of saying um, that, that you want to make sure you are following a good guide in life. If you're going to follow the example of somebody, you want to look at them and make sure they know where they are going, and that's a good example for you to follow so that you walk down the right path as well. That that statement would still apply today, just like it did back then. Now, here's the, the problem for the disciples. Okay, for the disciples, and we'll talk about them, and then we're going to get into you and me and how this affects us. But the disciples still did not understand what Jesus was getting at because it did seem like Jesus was changing the rules all the time. I mean, they had grown up with the tradition of the elders, and so they were taught to follow the tradition of their elders by their parents and their their community, and so they're coming to Jesus, and they just don't fully understand it yet, and so so Peter, on behalf of the group, comes to Jesus, and he's like, okay, well, I'll I'll ask Jesus, you know, like, I'll be the mouthpiece for the group, and so verse 15, Peter comes, and Peter said, okay, Jesus, explain the parable to us. He's like, listen, Jesus, I know we look all cocky, and I know it was kind of fun to taunt the Pharisees again. Like, we're getting really good at that, and, you know, I know that I'm good looking, but Jesus, I don't understand. I don't know if he's at that, probably, but maybe okay not uh, But he's like, listen, we don't understand. Can you explain the parable to us? And so what we're going to look at what Jesus says to them. I think sometimes we read what Jesus says to the disciples next. If you know this passage, maybe you're already thinking about it. And I think, we, was Jesus being harsh with them? And I don't think so. I think, again, Jesus is probably, you know, in his 30s, the disciples are much younger. He's probably 10 or 15 years young, older than them, than the, than the apostles. And so I think it's like he just, you know, he ruffles Peter's hair and he says, Peter, guys, he says, are you still so dull? Verse 16, are you still so dull? Are you still don't get it? And he's going to explain this to him, but this is Jesus' humor, right? We don't we don't find much humor in the Bible, we think like, all oh, this can't be funny, because when we read the Bible, we t- wait until we get to a quiet place, and we turn on some, some soft music in the background, and we're, it's so reverent, and it's so holy, and it is, but we just think, well, there surely can't be anything funny in this, but I think this is Jesus' humor. And so Jesus says, are you still so dull? And then look at what he says in verse 17. He says, don't you see, guys, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth, goes into the stomach, and then out the body, to which they thought, yeah, we are not that dull. Like, we do understand that. But I think Jesus just had a grin on his face. He's like, guys, let me explain this for you, okay? Maybe you haven't been paying attention to your own bodies, but whatever goes into your mouth, whatever you eat or, you know, even, even if you haven't washed your hands, whatever goes into your body, it goes into your stomach. Your body processes it, and then it flushes it out. Don't you see? And they're like, yeah, we see that like twice a day probably, you know, most days on a good day, right? And so so what Jesus was saying, listen, if something goes into your body by accident, if you accidentally break some rule of etiquette, that's not what, what defiles you. That's not what puts you at odds with God. And then he straightens up and he says, but, but, hear me guys. He says, but, verse 18, the things that come out of a person's mouth. These defile him. He says, the things that come out of your mouth, that is a whole other story. He says, your heavenly father is far more concerned about the things that come out of your mouth than he is the things that accidentally go into your mouth. And he uses this religious word. He says, the things that come out of your mouth, these are the things that have the potential to defile you. Defile is kind of a religious word. It means to be at odds with God. And he says, do you want to know what puts you at odds with God? It's not the things that go into your mouth. It's not the things that happen accidentally. It's not accidentally violating a tradition or forgetting to wash your hands. The things that put you at odds with God are the things that come out of your mouth that put you at odds with other people. The things that put you at odds with God are when the things that you say to other people put you at odds with them. And this was the theme of Jesus' teaching. This was the call to love one another as Christ has loved us, right? The things that, that, that Jesus came back to over and over and over again is this reminder that God loves the people beside you, and God loves the people behind you, and God loves the people next to you, God loves the person in the car with you. God loves the other people in your home. God loves the people in the cubicle down the hall from you at work. And he says, if you want to know what defiles you, it is not what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth that that defiles the people around you. That will defile you between you and God. But now this, the, the whole interaction with other people, that's not even Jesus' main point here. We cut out one phrase from verse 18 that I want us to go back and put in here because this is so much of the foundation for our series together. Verse 18, he says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the what? Heart. Heart. Yes. The things that come out of your mouth come from the heart. And these things, the things that come from your heart, defile. This is so powerful. Jesus says, the things that come out of your heart, they originate inside of you. The things that come out of your mouth originate in your heart. And it's the things that come out of you that are in you. And that is what puts you at odds with God. Now, I don't know where this lands for some of you. Some of you may hear that and go... Well, yeah, of course. You haven't said anything that I don't know yet. Of course, the things that come out of my mouth come from my heart. Like, I recognize that. But others of you may, may argue with me a little bit. You may say, hey, no, John, you know, sometimes I say things that I don't mean. Sometimes I say things I don't mean. I think Jesus would, would push back on that argument or push back on that thought. and He would say, no. What you should say is sometimes you say things you don't mean to say out loud. Right? Right? <laughs> Jesus would say, no, you meant them, and you said them, and you, you said them because that's what's in your heart. It's what comes out of the overflow of your mouth, or out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. It came out of you because that's what's inside of you. And then he takes this so deep. Look at verse 19. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, And evil thoughts tee up all the other things that we do that violate the heart of God. It's out of the heart that come evil thoughts, and then murder, and adultery, and sexual immorality, and theft, and false testimony, and slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands, that does not defile them. He says, everything begins with a thought. And the things that you think about doing begin in your heart. Now, the Gospel writer Mark, who was who wrote one of the other four Gospels, we think he got his information from Peter. Peter was one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 chosen disciples. He would have been there that day. Jesus was answering Peter's question. So when Peter recounted this moment and this conversation to Mark, for Mark to record, Mark added some other things that Jesus talked about. Jesus added on greed and malice and deceit and lewdness and envy which we'll talk about slander and arrogance and folly folly well, what's folly? well folly folly is just bad judgment and as you look back on your life how many of the things that you regret were the result of bad judgment? Probably most of them probably was bad judgment that led you to do some of those things that you wish you could go back and take back. Some of those relationship killing, career killing, financially killing, things that you've chosen to do, they were the result of folly. Jesus says these are the things that have the potential to put you at odds with God. But not washing your hands? Come on. No. Now, one more thing and then we're going to get really specific uh, for us and this is really important. It's important to note that religious rituals, right, that's what the hand washing was, it was a religious ritual. Religious rituals and traditions can be very important and meaningful to us, but they are not a means by which you keep God happy and satisfied. Okay? Religious rituals and traditions can be very important and meaningful to us, but they are not a means by which you keep God happy and satisfied. And this is where people of faith, this is where you and I especially, because we're the ones in church on Sunday morning, this is where we are tempted to get this wrong and to take it from a place where it's meaningful and important for us and to kind of put it on God like it's what we have to do to keep him happy. But that's not the case. I'll give you an example. One of the things that I like to do in my own personal walk with God is I like to pray on my knees. Now, I don't do it all the time. I don't even do it every single day. But one of the things that I like to do is I like to pray on my knees because I found that there's something about my physical posture of of kneeling down before my Heavenly Father that reminds me who He is and who I am and who I am and where I am in relation to Him. It goes back to my childhood, because my mother taught me to to pray on my knees before we'd go to bed. I'd get ready for bed, I'd brush my teeth, and then we'd go into my room, and I'd kneel down on the floor next to my bed, and she would kneel down with me next to the bed, and this was back when she had good knees. If she did that today, I don't think she'd ever get back up, but um, sorry, Mom, I just threw you under the bus on camera, Um, but, um, but, but she taught me to do this, and so I did this growing up, and it just stayed with me, and so it's meaningful for me. And so today, I still like to pray on my knees occasionally, but I understand that that does not impact the power of my prayers. I understand that God is not up in heaven going, wow, would you look at John? Man, what a God. You know, most people are just praying to me as they drive around town and they're like, God, would you help me with this? God would you help me with that? Oh look, a new restaurant just opened. I'm gonna have to come back there later, you know. But God, would you help me? You know, no, but John, John is on his knees next to his bed. Ba- hey, Jesus, Jesus, come over here. Would you look at John? Hey, Jesus, just give him whatever he wants, right? I, whatever he's asking for, just give him to him blank check, you know, that man is on his knees, so just no, right? This is so meaningful for me. And your religious traditions that you appreciate and you like, they are meaningful and and important to you. Those are a gift from God. But those things are for you. Those things are not for him. He doesn't need you to do them to keep him happy. That's not the game that God plays. God doesn't play games like that. But he has given them to you for you and for your benefit. And so if they're important for you, if they're special for you, if they help you as you relate to God, then keep doing them, right? I'll give you another example. Some of you grew up in a Christian tradition where you went to confession, and you were were taught to confess your sins out loud to another person. And for some of you, you did that, and you, you don't like that, and you've moved away from that, and that's okay. Right? Because you don't need to do that to keep God happy. But for others of you, maybe you like that, that tradition. You like that exercise. And so maybe some of you wish you could still do that. If that's the case, great, you should still do that. If you want to do confession, you know we don't, we don't call the church to do it like all the time or anything. But, but if you want to share a confession with somebody, then set up a meeting with me. I would be happy to sit down with you and listen to your confession. I really would especially if you'll let me change your name and use it as a sermon illustration down the road. I would love to hear your confession, right? No, but those things are given to us by God, and they're meaningful for us. They're not a means to keep God happy, okay? This is not how it works. Missing confession, or missing communion, or missing a day where you forgot to read the Bible because you got so busy... God is not angry because he's keeping a checklist of of how many days in a row you got that right, all right? It's not what what goes into our mouth as he was addressing the Pharisees that defiles us. It's the things that come out from the overflow of our heart. Now, here's what we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks. And this is going to be so much fun, at least for me. Um, But we're going to get really good at monitoring, okay? Now, you're already good at monitoring your behavior. We talked about this at the beginning, but but you have all sat so politely for the last 35 minutes or so, right? You, Some of you weren't even thinking, like, you didn't hear a word I said, right? You're just completely distracted, but you're good at monitoring your behavior, and so I appreciate that. I want to say thank you for sitting so politely while I talk to you, right? I can't even tell. I thought you were uh, engaged, but I know a bunch of you weren't. That's okay. But we're really good at monitoring our behavior, but over the course of the next few weeks, we want to get better at monitoring what is going on inside of us. We want to monitor the emotions that well up within us when things happen or when we get stressed out or when we have interactions with other people that cause something out of the normal to be felt by us. We want to get really good at monitoring those things. And we're actually going to do, we're going to learn to do what the Apostle Paul teaches us to do in some of his letters. We're going to get good at personifying those things. And I want you to actually get good at getting into the habit of saying to those things, no, you're not the boss of me. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Before we leave today, I want you to say this out loud. I want you to say the phrase, you are not the boss of me, out loud. We're going to do this a couple times so you can get comfortable with it. I know it's weird. I know some of you don't like saying these things out loud. But on the count of three, I want you to say this. One, two, three.
1: You're not the boss of me. Yeah, doesn't it just
0: feel good? feels good to say it. Let's do it one more time. One, two, three. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. This is good. Anger, listen, I know you have a right to well up inside of me. I know that they were wrong. I know they wronged me, but anger, you know what? Anger, you're not the boss of me. And so I'm not going to respond or react because of how you're making me feel. Insecurity, listen, I'm done with you, insecurity. You're not the boss of me. I am not who you say I am, so you're not the boss of me, and I'm done with you. Fear, fear. Look, I know that I don't want to go, I don't want to show up because ultimately at the end of the day, I'm afraid. But you know what, fear? You're not the boss of me. And I'm done living my life in fear. This is what we want to start to do. And I want to ask you, do you imagine how different your life would have been if you had learned to monitor what was going on inside your heart early on, and then to choose whether or not it's the healthy way to respond or a healthy place to respond from? Could you imagine how your middle school years would have been different if you had learned to monitor what was happening in your heart, your high school years, for some of you, your college years, right? I don't know how effective this will be, but but this is one of the things that my wife and I have been trying to do with our kids from an early age. With our kids, we're trying to get them to learn how to monitor what's going on in their heart. And so from the very beginning, we've asked our kids at the end of the night when we put them in bed, hey, what's going on in your heart? What are you feeling in your heart today? Did anybody do anything, or did anybody say anything to you today that made your heart hurt? Do you think you said or did anything to anybody else today that might have made their heart hurt? I ask my daughter Braylon all the time, are there any little boys that I need to go threaten? (laughs) It's just part of the conversation, teaching them to learn to monitor what's going on inside of them. But over the next few weeks, we want to learn to pay attention to what's in there because we know that what's in there is eventually gonna come out of there. And this is why this is so important because you are currently, whether you recognize this or not, whether you like any of this or not, whether you believe or agree with this or not, the truth is that you are living your life in the overflow of what is coming out of some other people's lives around you. What you experience on a daily basis, From other people is the overflow of what's coming out of their heart. And what they are experiencing is is the overflow of what's coming out of your heart. And for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who have said, you know what, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Part of the reason that we don't want to let our emotions be the boss of us is because we already have a boss of us. We already have a better boss than anger. We already have a better boss than envy. We already have a better boss than greed or lust. And and our boss says to us, to his followers, Jesus says to us, he says, instead of listening to those emotions that want to be the boss of you, he invites us. Again, this was Matthew that recorded this word. I have to imagine this meant so much to Matthew because I think Matthew carried so much baggage with him. But he records Jesus inviting us to come to me, he said. Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, listen, I know that you're successful. I know that the business is going well. I know that you're set. But I know that on the inside, there is a raging insecurity inside of you. He's like, listen, I know that when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you do not like what you see. And there is an envy when you look at other people and when you look at other people's lives and they seem like they have it all together and I know that there is a raging voice inside of you that feels like you are in fear and that tells you that you are in fear. He says this to a whole slew of things that we believe and the voices that we hear and he says, come to me and you will find rest. And then he finishes that thought in the next verse. Matthew says, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. What is that? What is a yoke? Well, a yoke is his way of life. It says, Come to me, follow me, learn from me, take my way of life upon you. And when you do that, you will trade in all of those voices for rest. You will find peace and rest for your soul. Who wouldn't want that? Who doesn't want to try that? It's worth considering. Jesus says, follow me, and perhaps your need for supervision will finally come to an end once you allow me to help you silence the toxic voices that are raging within. Now, here's where I want to go with this as we wrap up. Today, we kick off Groups. And adult growth groups are a big deal around here because this is where we put our the teaching that we hear and that we unpack on the weekend into practice. And if you're not in a group, there is still time to get into one. You can jump on the app today. You can jump on the website today. You can go to the connection point tables out in the comments today. And you can still sign up for a group. But I understand some of you are apprehensive about that. Maybe you've never been in a group before, and that makes you nervous. Maybe you were in a group one time, and it wasn't great, and so you feel apprehensive about it. But I want you to say to that apprehension, you know what apprehension? You're not the boss of me, and I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a second chance. I'm going to see what God may want to do through a community of people as we look to apply this teaching to ourselves. In group this week, you're going to talk about some things like this. We're going to talk about which of the following has a way of becoming the boss of you. any of those things well up inside of you from time to time? Number two, what does it sound like when you're taking your cues from your answer to number one? And number three, what is the first indication that you are about to hand over control, that you are going to listen to that inferior boss?
1: I want to invite you to
0: get into a group, to give it a try. A couple other thoughts, I want to invite you, uh, two weeks from today, I am, I'm going to do my best, in the context of this series, two weeks from today, I'm already getting really excited about what, what we're going to talk about, because two weeks from today, I'm going to do my best to, to share the good news of Jesus, to share the gospel, maybe with people who, who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. Two weeks from today, I want to, I want to try to say something, I, actually, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let Jesus say it. I want to try to unpack something that Jesus says that I think has the potential to lift an enormous weight off of people's shoulders so I want to invite you to be here, but I want to invite you to take it a step further than that. I want to invite you to kind of get the word out and to invite some people in your life who don't have what you have in this faith thing, in this, in this rest, following Jesus. And if there's somebody you know that is carrying around a whole bunch of guilt and shame and baggage, man, get them here two weeks from today. And what Jesus says that we're going to unpack together, I think is going to be so incredibly freeing. So I say that because I want to give you two weeks to get the word out. Let me pray for you. We'll get out of here. God, thank you for the invitation to not just monitor our behavior, but to go deeper than that, Lord, and to monitor what's going on inside of our hearts. Lord, would you help us to process that healthy in a healthy way? Would you help us to hand that over to you? And Lord, as we follow you, would you help us to replace those things with the peace and rest that you promise. Lord, would our lives be glorifying to you and inspiring to people around us who don't know you yet. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone who agreed said it. Hey, have a great rest of your day. We'll see you tonight and tomorrow for a tour. Get signed up for those. We'll see you then. See you next week.